Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Everything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we've got another tough loss to swallow as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 286. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Greg Cosell about the Eagles and their Week 10 loss to the New York Giants. Listen, this was a tough one, right? Some bad play on offense, some bad play on defense. How does this team bounce back? Because they will need to. They've got a tough matchup this week against a physical Cleveland Browns football team, and we'll preview that game as well right at the top of the show here in Chalk Talk. Before we get going with that segment, just a quick reminder, if you have not yet lately, please jump on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating and leave us a comment. We will 100% answer it right here on the show. I appreciate everybody that has done that already and appreciate those of you who are subscribed and have supported the Journey to the Draft podcast as well. Myself, Ben Fennel, we're over there twice a week talking NFL draft and prospects and philosophy and scouting. We've got Eagles scouts every single week. There's no NFL draft podcast anywhere that you're going to find that has a current NFL scout every single week on the show. That's what you're going to find over on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We're talking all about current Eagles players as they were coming out uh, of the draft. So we'll talk all about that at the top of every uh, early week episode over on the Journey of the Draft podcast. And again, you can find that wherever podcasts can be found. All right, that being said, let's dive into this week's show right now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, joining us this week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade for our segment we call Chalk Talk, Greg Cosell, our friend from NFL Films. Greg, uh, welcome to Week 11, sir. Uh, Yes, it is, Fran, and uh, pretty excited that it is Week 11, that we're moving along. Well, hopefully uh, we can keep this thing going here. Um, Let's talk through, obviously, before we get to uh, the Week 11 matchup, Eagles-Browns, we're going to talk about the Week 10 game, a tough loss uh, for the Eagles up at the Meadowlands against the New York Giants. And uh, look, it was a a tough performance. I said it earlier at the top of the show, uh, a tough performance on both sides of the football. Uh, To me, it comes down to one big thing, Greg. You look at the at this offensive performance. Obviously, you go zero for nine on third down. It's very tough to win a football game when you go zero for on third down. All right, that's that's tough. That's just to start off with. But then on top of that, to have the poor field position, to lose the field position battle the way that yeah. you did. I mean, they, they started four drives from inside, or no, they had they started six drives. Excuse me, from inside their own seventeen. So to lose six drives, you start six drives from inside your own 17, nothing past your own 25, so nothing past a touchback on a kickoff, and then to have the other team start four drives outside of their own 25, that's not drastic, but that's a lot of hidden yardage that if you are not succeeding on third down, you're, it's, it's very hard to play football that way. The fact that they were able to generate even two touchdown drives is fairly impressive considering the fact that they did not have that kind of success uh, on third down. And to me, that, that's, the, that's the deciding factor in this specific game because there weren't turnovers to look at. There wasn't like these big mistakes where like, oh man, like this really cost them. It was more just the culmination of little things on some of these drives starting with, you know, where you're already in an uphill climb, starting at your own seven or your own 11 or your own 17. And it's, it's tough to overcome that. 
Without question. And I think the other part of that is on third down, you make a great point. After the first three third downs, I think all those third downs were either third and eight or nine or more. Yep. And that's just a tough deal. So it's it it was it was a tough situation with the field position and the length of the third downs. That is hard to overcome. Yeah. And to, to uh, you know, adding some context into that, you, you mentioned the fact that a couple of those were on third and short. Some of them, you know, the, the, one, the first third down of the game was a third and one where the Eagles knew they were in four down territory. They knew no matter how third down went, they were going for it on fourth down. Uh, you know, one of the third downs was a third and one where Carson Wentz gets both of his feet stepped on from two different offensive linemen and falls backwards and falls into a sack. Like you had a couple of those where it's like, all right, like it is what it is. They go for it on fourth down uh, afterwards. But I think when you look at just the, the inability to have that success uh, on third down that was a really a, a big part of this game and I think when you look at this this offense right now I mean it's it's one of the it's in the bottom third of the league right now uh, on third down 31st in the league right now in three and outs uh, you know a quarter of their drives just over a quarter of their drives have gone three and out um, they just have not been able to have that level of success on the most important down in football and when this offense was at its best I mean that was that was their calling card was to be good in situational football. You were good in the red zone. You were good on third down. Um, you know, and that's been an issue. Pressure uh, on Carson Wentz on the quarterback has continued to be a problem. They're worst in sacks in the league, worst in pressure rate. Um, they're one of the worst in pressure rate, I should say. Uh, you know, they, they have not been able to protect uh, the quarterback as well. Uh, it, it's it was just a rough deal, man. I, I, honestly, I, I didn't even know like what to write about, what to talk about uh, after watching the film. It was it was rough, like pretty much all around. Yeah, and I think the other factor that plays in is a lot of the things you mentioned potentially could be overcome if you had more explosive plays in the yeah, pass yeah. game. Yep. And we've seen that in years past, clearly, and that's something that has not been there this year. Mm. Uh, those 20-plus or 25-plus pass plays, that's something that they have been able to hang their hat on in years past, but that has been missing really from their offense this season. Yep, that's the thing is that like uh, you know you, if you look at Carson Wentz's average depth of target, I remember his remember his rookie year, Greg. Everyone would uh, would in like there were there were like you know different writers out there that would harp on oh well Carson Wentz is never going to be good because uh, his air yards isn't good, and then uh, you know we would we would talk about that how silly that was, and you watch right, 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 and now you look, I mean their average depth of target is top five in the NFL. I mean they are they are attacking down the field. But they're only, I think they're, what are they? They're, in terms of explosive plays, they're 28th in the league in 20-plus yard completions. They just have not been uh, overly efficient uh, in those attempts. And, you know, they had they tried a couple uh, in the game on Sunday and, and were not able to connect. Um, you know, for sure, that, that lack of being able to create the big play has certainly helped. The one thing I was like, looking at the offense and watching the tape, I thought you saw some good things in the rushing attack, right? I mean, I we saw that. Yeah, I thought we saw some good things from Miles Sanders. I Honestly, I felt that, and he didn't have like, the, the big play like we saw against Baltimore, we saw against Pittsburgh. But I thought that this was the most confident and the most decisive he looked running the football. I mean, he, he attacked downhill. There were only a couple where he, you know, he looked a little bit decisive and kind of chattered his feet. I would agree. Everything else, I thought he looked pretty good carrying the rock. I would agree. And, they, they, you know, they had a number of run game elements. They had the zone read elements, which was part of the inside zone look. They had the, the, the GC pin pull concept, yep. um, which was tied in, you know, you may know more about it than I do just from from being there, but sometimes I feel like it's tied into an RPO. Sometimes I'm not sure, you know, so uh, but but the point is like the Scott 56 yard touchdown came on um, on the pin pull concept. Was it tied into an RPO? Maybe you know more about it. Than I, fe I, do. I felt like it was. I did. I didn't talk to anybody about it. I, it felt like it was to me. Right. 
I, yeah, where I, whereas I wouldn't like if I was going to do that as a film piece for the NFL matchup show, I wouldn't know for sure. You know, right. I, yep. you know it could have been, it absolutely could have been. Um, then they had the wham trap concepts, which, um, uh, you know, I thought they, they executed pretty well. So real quick, real quickly, Greg, can you break down the, the wham trap concept? What, what is it that, the, that, that is, can you just uh, explain that to the listener? Absolutely not. I don't feel like it. No, just, <laughs> <laughs> just move on. Yeah, just keep going. <laughs> well, we call it a wham trap. Some people call it different things, but there is a what's called a wham block, which is a block that comes from outside of the offensive line. It almost always in the Eagles system comes from a tight end who's either outside of, of the offensive tackle or he could be just inside of the offensive tackle. It depends where you choose to have him line up, but he's off the ball and he's going to uh, block the. Um, I mean, I guess it, I'm trying to remember this this specific play, the, the one I'm thinking of, the 13-yarder um, uh, that Sanders had in the third quarter. But he can either block a one technique or a three technique, depending on how you decide to do it. Yeah. Um, the trap block element, the reason you do that is you take a guard and he kind of pulls around the center and he's normally going to get um, – the three technique, or again, it could be the one technique. It depends how you want to do it. But the idea behind it is that when you do the trap concept, you get two offensive linemen immediately up to the second level. That's why you do this because you're taking the wham block and the trap block. They block first level defensive linemen. They block the one technique and the three technique, however you map that out. And then that allows other offensive linemen to get right up to the second level without having to worry at all about dealing with defensive linemen. So it allows them to get right to the linebacker level immediately. Yeah. And if you're looking at it from pure, a pure like strategy standpoint for the, for the listener at home, if you are an offense and you say like, all right, just the, just you walk into a classroom and say, all right, we're going to, Hey, our game plan is we're going to block the defensive tackle with a tight end. You might say like, what like that that's not gonna work at all but because you're bringing that guy in from outside it's an advantageous angle for him and so now Correct. you're he's able to make that block dallas goddard got the defensive tackle on the the one it was the uh the touchdown drive the opening drive of the third quarter dallas goddard got the defensive tackle on the ground he got he got him down because it's an advantageous block if the defensive tackle doesn't see him coming he can really earhole him and get and get him down and either way you're creating that he doesn't even need to do that even if he does just create a little bit of a seal and lose slowly that's enough for the running back to get out the door and, and that like you said allows you to get a center it gets a guard it gets a tackle up to the off or up to the linebacker level and now you're getting big bodies on small bodies while also offensively you know using small bodies to block big bodies that's really what it ultimately comes down to a lot of those runs if you look at you know the, some of the big runs over the years for the eagles when you see the running back just kind of like he's shot out of a cannon he's get, going downhill very quickly it's going to be on one of those wham trap plays um you know whether it's just a wham or just a trap or in this case what we saw on sunday a couple of wham trap plays where both blocks uh were utilized and i agree that was to me the one well, of the big schemes we saw i well. just pulled it up while you were talking just so i could be 100 percent right um, Goddard actually blocked the three technique. He yep. blocked the three technique Tomlinson and Opeta went right behind Kelsey and he blocked the one technique um, who was Dexter Lawrence on this particular play. And that allowed um, the center Kelsey and the right tackle Lane Johnson to immediately get up to the two linebackers. And it was really well executed. And it immediately gave Miles Sanders, like you said, he just was able to hit 
the gap that he went through, hit the hole that he went through without having to hesitate or pause at all. That's the thing. If the if the back does hesitate, that that really can kind of destroy that play because at some point that stuff's going to kind of collapse on it. You need that running back to trust that the blocks are going to hit and just hit it at full speed. And you know the the best examples of that run over the years have been with plays like that. And I thought Miles uh, really hit the hole hard. And I agree with plays. you. I thought he looked really decisive. Uh, I, I thought he got downhill quicker this week than he than we've seen him in the past. I thought yep. he ran really well. Yeah, I thought that, you know, we talked about this uh, after the Cowboys game, but I thought that Dallas Goddard did a good job in the run game. Uh, we, we saw some good – honestly, the, the point of attack movement I thought was pretty good overall. It was better than the first game for sure, a much healthier offensive line in this one. But I thought uh, overall uh, the, the, the movement in the run game was pretty good, and I thought the running backs were, were very decisive uh, in this game. So um, you, know, you look at it from that standpoint – you know, we talked about Carson at the top uh, a little bit, but I, I didn't think that this – obviously, look, he, he didn't play great. We didn't see, like, those dynamic, like, you know, huge plays. There was that, wasn't a touchdown pass in the game. I didn't think it was a terrible game from Carson. We, I, there were no turnovers, uh, just not one of those where it's like, oh, man, you know, you kind of hang your – there were a couple throws that were like, oh, man, that was, you know, there, he had a, the one rolling to his left where he had to throw around a defender. He had a right. couple where he had defenders bearing down, and he made a, th- a late throw out towards the sideline. But – um, overall, it was you know not not a great performance, but certainly you know a low bar, but a better improve, improvement over what we saw uh, certainly against Dallas, where you had some of those turnovers that were untimely. No, I agree with that, um, and it's funny you say that because when I watch the tape, yes, he missed some throws, and and, and we're not going to pretend that he didn't miss some yeah, throws. Yeah, of course, he did miss some throws, but I thought watching the tape, I thought Fran overall he was better than I thought watching the game on TV. And, and again, I don't want people to think I'm saying that, man, he had a great game. That We know that he didn't have a great game. Of course, right. So, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we don't want to come across like that because we'd be wrong. But I thought that the tape, uh, you know, other than a few of those missed throws, and, and yes, do you have to make them? Of course you do. That's, that's just obvious. Yep. But I, I thought that it was not a bad performance in terms of the mental aspect, in terms of where he went with the football. Um you know, I didn't think there were any bad sacks. Obviously, there were no turnovers. So it, it was not uh, it was not a bad performance in that regard. Mm-hmm. Let's go over to the defensive side. And, uh, you know, one of the, the things that we talk about, you know, for this one, to me, look, the, the what's interesting, looking at this Eagles and looking at the run defense, you look at this defense, they've always been able to hang their hat on defending the run, right? And, and that has been a, kind of a calling card of this defense over the last few years. This year, if you look at their performance against running backs, right, it's at, they're one of the best in the league. You know, their uh, running backs' r- yards per carry, they're second in the NFL. They're at, running backs are only averaging 3.3 a carry. It's everybody else in the offense that's hurting them. It's the quarterbacks running the football. It's the receivers running the football, the tight ends. It's the, the non-running backs. The Eagles are by far the worst in the league right now. They've given up over 350 yards total on the ground to quarterbacks and receivers. They're giving up over seven and a half yards of carry to quarterbacks and receivers. Uh, and they're different kind of schemes. You know, in the, early in the season, we were talking all about uh, all the, the issues they've had defending the jet sweep, the jet sweep, the jet sweep. Over the last few weeks, it's been zone read, zone read, zone read, quarterback run, quarterback run, quarterback run. Um, but I, to me, like going into this game, into this matchup against Cleveland, which we'll talk about uh, here in a little bit, uh, obviously it's a, it's a lot of the run game with – Nick Chubb with Kareem Hunt um, but uh, that's been the thorn kind of in the Eagles side and those yards count those points count that you give up to the quarterback that you give up to the receivers um, yeah, it's just that's been the thorn in the side of this Eagles defense for a large chunk of the year 
Yeah, you're right. And, and we'll get to the challenge this week because they're playing a really good run game. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously, look, they were hurt this week by Daniel Jones running the football, both by design and some timely scrambles, which yep. which hurt them. And and I thought that 34 yard touchdown was was a really cool play because it, it at its core, it's a zone read concept. But I thought it almost had a pin-pull element to it. It, it. it was a really creative blocking scheme working off a basic zone read concept. Yeah, basically what happened, you know, I think I, all our listeners have an idea of what the basic zone read looks like. You know, you leave the a defensive lineman, typically a defensive end, unblocked. You read him. If he crashes down inside, you pull it and you run. If uh, he stays home, you hand it off to the back. Like, that's what a basic zone read will look like. But what the Giants did on this play was a play you see uh, on Saturdays in the college game. You don't see it often, especially with the Giants offense, uh, is that they brought a tight end from the backside along to, to basically serve as a lead blocker to Daniel Jones. And on top of that, they also brought a receiver down to crack the play side linebacker. So that accounted for the play side linebacker over the top, the guy that TJ Edwards, you would think, oh, he's going to scrape over and be there to tackle Daniel Jones if he keeps it. He's blocked by the receiver. And then you've got the tight end coming backside as a lead blocker as well. And that helps create uh, a really wide alley for Daniel Jones. Now, the positive part of that is that when the Giants ran that again, uh, TJ Edwards read it perfectly. They you know, got downhill, defeated the crack block, took on the lead blocker. He, he took two for one, and Daniel Jones goes for one yard. He falls forward, and, and they're able to stop it. But uh, a creative run scheme for sure that got the Giants on the board in the opening drive. Yeah, no, I, like I said, I mean, in a sense, Caden uh, Smith, the tight end, was like the tackle that pulls in a pin yeah. pull. He yep. just, you know, he just came from across the formation. And uh, and then you're right. It was a great concept because the slot receiver, Mac, sealed the play side stack backer Edwards. And you don't normally see that in a zone read concept. It was really I thought it was a really creative way to take a basic zone read scheme and block it. I, it was a really cool play. Yeah. Again, you don't typically see, especially from this Giants offense, we haven't necessarily seen that. Uh, what did you think overall from the from the linebackers in this game, Greg? I know that's a, that's always a topic of conversation with people uh, all around the city. What did you think overall from? Uh, I guess it would be from uh, T.J. Edwards, from Alex Singleton, and Duke Riley in this matchup. I thought overall, to be honest, I thought they struggled a bit in the run game. I didn't think they saw things as clearly uh, at times as they needed to, and and on some plays that resulted in slow recognition and reaction. Um, I thought there were some snaps they played laterally uh, without the needed aggression. Um, you know, I, I don't think it was their best game because I really like Singleton. I think Edwards has played good football this year as well when he's been out there. I just don't think this was their best game based on tape study, you know, yeah. which is the only thing I'm looking at. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, I think that's fair to say. And, you know, to me, I thought that Edwards of the group uh, had the best game uh, of that trio, um, you know, outside of that play where he did get cracked on the touch on the, the touchdown run by Jones. I thought he came back and, and bounced back well uh, from that effort. I didn't think Singleton had his best game for sure uh, from the season. So we'll see if those guys can bounce back. They're going to need to bounce back uh, against this Cleveland uh, Browns offense. And then lastly, before we get uh, to that group, the the defensive line, I think the big thing is, uh, you know, New York, they did a good job of mixing in their play actions and then quick passing game. And that kind of neutralized um, this yeah. pass rush a little bit. I, I didn't think that those guys really had a ton of time to be able to get home. Anything that did, they did a nice job with their backfield actions to kind of, you know, keep Jones clean. And and I and obviously there's been a sense the way he's played this year that Daniel Jones isn't very good. But I actually thought he made some very good throws in this game you know, some pretty big time NFL throws. Uh, and it started right on the first series. I thought that throw he hit to Slayton. Unbelievable. The, it was a great throw. That sack was just a big, big time throw. Um, 
which, you know, we know, again, from people who may not study Daniel Jones, you and I have, uh, Daniel Jones is capable of those kinds of throws. And then you had the, um, the touchdown drive, which I think came right in the third quarter, right after the Boston Scott touchdown, right. where he hit Shepard and Tate on back-to-back plays just versus one-on-one coverage. The Eagles played a lot of man-to-man in this game. Um, you know, the, the one to Shepard came against Maddox. The one to Tate came against, I believe, Roby Coleman. Um, just, you know, really good throws, really well-executed plays versus man coverage. And that drive in particular, that was after, that was the, their opening drive of the third quarter. The Eagles had just gone down and scored their first touchdown. You feel good. The Giants, they, they moved the ball so quickly yep. and so easily down the field. They got like 60 yards in those two completions, and then they punch it in. That was just such a deflating drive. You know, for yep. us watching at home, it was like, oh, man, like, all right, got to go and do it again. And credit the Eagles offense. They did come back and score a touchdown on the ensuing drive. It was just, that was a, a very deflating feeling for sure, uh, you know, on that drive, um, you know, for the Eagles. Uh, the the other only other drive I would say that kind of stood out to me was there was the uh, the third and five um, where they were backed up. The Eagles had was it the uh, there was they they had punted, um, got the the Giants pinned back inside their own five yard line, and they had a third and five from you know inside the ten. You're talking about right. the throw to Lewis, yeah. The, it was a, they motioned See, that, that was cover that two. was a play was, again. I know we want to talk about the Eagles, but just talking football here, I think that was the kind of throw that shows that Jones is throwing with more confidence now. You know, greater willingness to trust what he sees and to turn it loose. That was another big-time NFL throw. How much – because you you said a word there. You said confidence. Talking about the quarterback position, you you obviously you watch everybody around the league and you've done it for years and years. How much do you feel confidence comes into play uh, with the quarterback position when guys are starting to kind of turn the corner and play well? I think it factors in a lot because, you know, look, we know in this league, particularly against zone, and then, for instance, that first throw to uh, Slayton and the throw to Lewis, those are against zone concepts. Man-to-man is a different animal um, because it's it's man-to-man. You know, I'm not saying that those throws are easy. That's not my point. But throwing into windows where the windows are tight. I mean, if you, let's say he just under threw the ball to Lewis, the slightest bit, I forget who the corner was underneath there, but it was Maddox. Yep. Maddox. That could be an interception return for a touchdown. Um, even the one to Slayton on second and 15, the second play of the game. If, if he threw that, let's say a little too far out in front or a little too far behind Slayton, that's an interception. So those are throws that you have to just turn it loose without any hesitation whatsoever at all. Uh, because in this league, if you hesitate for half a beat, you're lost. The, the, the plays are bad. So I think there is a clear confidence factor. And I think Jones has been slowly moving in that direction. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you, I know the, Eagle, the uh, Giants have a bye this week. I'm not going to sit here and tell you in his next game, he's going to come out and throw for 350. Who knows? But I think that in this game, and that's all we can speak to, the plays in this game, that he threw the ball with a clear sense of confidence. Yeah, I think it's a huge part. That's not really talked about much, um, you know, in the media. It's I, I feel, and that's not just a quarterback. That's across the board at any position. Um, but I feel especially at that spot, you go with how often um, you touch the football. Uh, I think that, you know, and then the impact you can, you can have. Notice I think it. Big. Yeah. There's two positions I feel you really notice it. And, and maybe you'll agree or disagree, quarterback and cornerback. I was just going to say DB. Yep, exactly. Yeah. I think you can see when a DB, and, and you know, you and I do a ton of college evaluation as well, and I think you can see when a corner is playing 
without a whole lot of confidence. Yeah, I think that's fair. That's uh, certainly a position uh, where you can definitely see that. Um, all right, let's take a look at this matchup here against the Cleveland Browns, Greg. And uh, obviously not a team that the that Eagles fans see often, you know, from the AFC. So you see yep. it every, every once every four years. Um, I guess kind of give us the elevator speech on this offense. Uh, what is this offense all about here with Kevin, uh, Kevin yeah. Stefanski? Starts with the run game. Yep. Uh, the, the foundation run is outside zone but they've mixed in a lot more gap scheme this year and they've had a lot of really good gap scheme runs. And uh, to me, one reason they've done that and he just got back from injury, but I think Wyatt Teller, who's their right guard is, is a really good pulling guard. And my guess is they've mixed that in more because he's really good as a puller. And I think you could make the argument that, that their two guards are a good a guard doers as there is in the NFL with Wyatt Teller at right guard and Joe Batonio at left guard. Uh, but this offense starts with the run game, and then what they do off of it is the the straight play-action pass game and the play-action boot pass game, which is a major foundation of what they do. In an ideal world, they don't want Mayfield dropping back by choice more than 30 times a game. In fact, they would love that to be less if, if all goes well. So this they start with the run, and everything they do with the pass game works off of it. I mean, it's literally like watching their offense. It's run game, run game, run game. And I literally wrote down like play action boot, dot, dot, dot. Play action boot, dot, dot, dot. All right. caps, play action boot, all caps. Bold, all caps, play action boot. That, that, that is the offense. I mean, that is so, and they do so much off of that. And they incorporate, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the quick little slide routes underneath, you'll get the half boots, you'll get the throwbacks off of it. Like they'll build in other things off of it, but uh, it is run game and play action boot. And now that Chubb's back in the lineup, um, you know, the, they're, they are going to give those two guys, 24 Chubb and 27 Kareem Hunt, uh, they're going to give those two guys the rock and, and let them work, you know, whether it's outside zone, whether, whether it's their gap schemes, their pin pulls, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, the guys that they use as, as pullers, they got Wyatt Teller back this week. Uh, he had been playing at a high level. Jidrick Wills uh, is playing with confidence. He's played up front. very well this year, yes, by the way. He really has. Uh, yeah. He's made the move from right tackle to left tackle for them. Um, you know, you look at all those guys, uh, the, the loss of Odell Beckham, sure. I mean, he's a, uh, you know, obviously an electric playmaker, but it, it does not it does not hurt them as much as it would other offenses because it really funnels through uh, this, this run game. And then the play-action boot makes things so well-defined for the quarterback that yeah. you don't necessarily need to have the top-flight receiver there uh, to kind of account for that. No, and and also they signed Jack Conklin in the offseason to play right tackle, and he fits this kind of offense because he's not a great pure pass protector if you're going to have a drop-back passing game, but he's very good as a run blocker, and therefore he can be very effective in the play-action pass game. But you're right, and the other thing to keep in mind about this offense, which factors into who the personnel will be on the field for the Eagles, is they... They are a base personnel offense. Yep. Now, we know that Angie Janovich, their fullback, is on the COVID list, so we don't know if he'll play or not. But this is a team that plays with a fullback, a meaningful number of snaps. They play with two tight ends. They play with three tight ends. So this is a base personnel offense. Hmm. I, I think it's a, a group, obviously, um, that, you know, you look at the way that they use those tight ends. You know, you talk about Austin Hooper, who they made the, the richest tight end uh, in the NFL when they signed him this spring. Obviously, that's changed a little bit this offseason. But then you look at David Joku, uh, former first round pick, Harrison Bryant, uh, who they spent like a fourth round pick this year. And he's done a lot of good things for them this year, uh, has really come on in the last four or five games. Uh, they use all these guys and 
yeah, I mean, it's a versatile group. Run, run game, pass game. Uh, it's tough to decipher exactly what they're going to do when they come out in 12 and 13 personnel. And it's, it's tough. And we, we talked about this last week on the show, um, but not just what it does for you from a matchup standpoint, but even from a run fit standpoint, because you don't often see it when you've got all three tight ends on the field, whether they're separated, whether it's you know one tight end on one side and two on the other, or all three st- lined up to one side. From a run fit standpoint, that's a lot to kind of communicate and be accounting for as a defensive front seven. You know, and we'll see. The Eagles, you know, play a good amount of man coverage. We know cover one is a foundation. But very often when you're playing out of your base personnel, their are 4-3 personnel, uh, you're going to play more zone and you're going to play more, more cover three. Hmm. And they create problems for flat defenders. Because what happens, if I could explain that, Fran, just so people get it, if you're playing a 4-3, and let's say you're playing a 4-3 stack, which is what the Eagles tend to do, yep. Singleton is their strong side linebacker uh, in their base defense, but he doesn't play on the ball very often. He's normally off the ball. They tend to play a 4-3 stack more than they put Singleton on the ball. Um, so what happens is if you have outside zone going one way, if you get that backside linebacker, he's going to start to flow but he's responsible for the flat on the all the way on the side that he was on. And you can attack those those flat defenders with any number of route concepts. And it becomes very, very difficult. So it's 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 a tough deal. And the Eagles linebackers, their their base linebackers, which is Singleton Strong, Edwards, Mike and um, Duke Riley is the will. They're going to have to really trust what they see and react and not play with uncertainty and hesitation. Yeah, I think it's a, and the Eagles also have matched up to 13 personnel in certain situations this year with four, with four, four. linebackers. Yeah, with four, four. Exactly. Bradley, so correct. Uh, we might yeah. see some Bradley and, and more Davion yeah. Taylor uh, this week. So that's certainly something uh, to keep an eye out for. We talked about Baker Mayfield within the, the play action boot with the way that they want to be able to play. Just talking about him as a player, obviously a former number one pick, I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts on where you feel he is in his development. Well, I think he, I still think he throws the ball extremely well. I think office rookie season, people obviously expected a lot. Uh, whatever happened last year, we were not there, but obviously it did not work last year. Uh, and then they brought in Kevin Stefanski. Now, I think that Baker Mayfield, because he's got very quick feet, he's got a compact delivery at his best. He's very accurate. He, he does have mobility, certainly by design. He's not an explosive athlete, but he has mobility by design. So within the context of this offense, Fran, I think he fits extremely well. Because the one thing we know about play action, whether it's play action, straight drop back off, off the run, or boot, is it better defines the reads and the yep. throws. And I think Mayfield needed off of last year to come into a system where all that was defined for him and not have him have to work through a lot of different progressions and figure it out after the snap of the ball. You you wanted him this year to kind of get back into that groove of having it defined for him. And I think that's where he's at. But he's a good throw of the football. So, like, one of the reasons why I asked you, you brought up confidence earlier at the quarterback position. And, you know, just watching Baker over the summer, going back and watching the 2019 stuff and then uh, watching uh, so far this year, he's a a great example of one of my favorite oxymorons in in, uh, watching football is that he's a guy that is playing fast physically, but then he's – a little bit slow mentally. Like, you, know, you can Correct. just tell he's playing a little bit frenetic. He, his, his feet are kind of all over the place. Everything just looks a little bit rushed. 
But then mentally, I think a lot of that is that he's a little bit slow to process, a little well, bit slow to trigger. And I feel like that's something that uh, kind of shows up. And it, a little bit less so, especially as the season has gone on, um, but definitely shows up on film. Well, it's funny you say that because I've used that phrase a lot. When, when you play where do you think where do you, where do you think I got it from, Greg? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. When you play slow mentally at quarterback, you end up playing really fast physically. It's just yeah. because you're not – nothing's registering and you you know that there's big people coming to get you, you know? So right. you end up feeling like, oh, my God, I better do something. I either got to run around or I got to throw the football when I'm not really ready to throw it. So when you're not seeing it and, and you're not – the term I like to use, as you well know – is not necessarily process, which a lot of people use, but eliminate and isolate. Yep. When you're not eliminating what's not there and isolating what is there, either pre-snap or within the immediate start of your drop, then what happens is you're too slow mentally and then your body just speeds up. And that's the way he played last year. Mm. He's been better this year. He still yep. has that tendency at times. Yes. Yep. There's no question. But I think the nature of this offense helps him work toward moving those things to you know more more closely together exactly uh, let's talk about the the running backs themselves you know again, we talk about the scheme they're good nick chubb, <laughs> nick chubb is really good kareem hunt's a really good player uh what are your thoughts on just from a uh from a trait standpoint like what are the kinds of players we're seeing in chubb and with hunt uh, ooh, chubb to me is is high level i mean i think you could make the case that a healthy nick chubb's a top three back in the league wow i think that he's first of all he's very big you don't even realize that how big he is but he's smooth. He's he's kind of like I wouldn't call him a um, a stop and start change of direction back. Not that he's incapable of that, but I think there's kind of a, a darting slashing style to him. Uh, he, he can change direction very very easily, and and he's a lot faster than you might think given his size. Um, you know, he has a lot of runs, outside zone runs, where he cuts back inside, and it just looks so comfortable. It looks like there's no effort. And the one thing that he has is he has that short area acceleration. I mean, he he never looks like he's slowing down ever in the way in which he moves. Hunt, to me, is a little different. Hunt is a little more stop and start, a right. little more change of direction. Um you know, he's I'm not going to sit here and say he's Barry Sanders because I don't necessarily compare guys to, you know, top three, top four greatest running backs of all time. But, but I, he's Barry Sanders. But he's Barry Sanders. Right. <laughs> but stylistically, he's more like that. He's right. got that 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 stop and start feel to him and that uh, ability to sort of stick his foot in the ground and then change direction. You know, he's he's a little more. um What's the right word? Frenetic's not the right word because that's a negative term. But he he definitely has that sort of I can't think of a good. I mean, word. He's, to me, like it's like, almost like jitterbug in terms yes, of like yes, the yes. you know in terms of just the, yeah. the the style. You know, he's more yes. slippery and, and you know right. with his ability to kind of get through contact. Uh, his balance has always really his, impressed me. Contact balance is yeah. really really good. Yeah, really I mean, good. Going back to Toledo, I mean that was that was yeah. his calling card for sure, um, and with, really with both guys because Chubb's got great balance as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think when you look at both those guys for sure. Uh, let me ask you one question: You talked about Chubb as one of the top three backs in the league. How do you looking at that big picture when you're looking at backs and trying to? You know, obviously, look, every team uses their backs differently, and how do you you how you structure your offense is going to dictate that. But when you look at a back who isn't quite seen as a guy that is oh a big time player in the past game. Um, do you, how do you weigh that when you try and uh, try and make that kind of call about a guy? 
Well, then it comes down to the, the, the team he's on and the nature yeah. of the offense. Yep, right. I mean, look, I, I know that there's been a lot of discussion, and we're not going to get into a lengthy one right now. Of course. But yep. There's been a lot of discussion about the quote-unquote value of running backs in the NFL. And, and because there's backs who are free agents who've done really well, people this year will throw out James Robinson, and he's done exceptionally well for a bad Jacksonville team. I think he's the fifth leading rusher in the NFL right now. And we've seen through the years, there's been a lot of backs who have either been low draft choices or free agents who have done well. And therefore the argument is, well, never draft a back, never pay a back. That, that's a different conversation. Um, but I think that it depends on how you choose to use a back. Mm. Um, if, if you truly are going to make the back, the foundation and starting point of your offense, I think most people would probably say they would would prefer a high-level traits back to a back that does not have high-level traits, even though backs who don't have high-level traits can be successful in the NFL. Mm. Um, I think you're seeing that, and while the sample size isn't large enough right now, I think you're seeing that to some degree in New England. You know, you and I really like Damian Harris coming out of Alabama. He was the number one player in America coming out of high school at Alabama. He never had more than maybe 135 carries in any given season at Alabama uh, came into the league as a third round pick. I doubt anyone said, Oh, that kid is special, but now he's quote unquote, a feet foundation back for a new England offense. That's different than it, you know, we're used to seeing. And, you know, last uh, Sunday night, he had, I think 22 or 23 carries for 120 yards. He's been looking really, really good. You know, is he a foundation back? I think he has the skill set to be one. You know, mm -hmm. it depends on how you use a particular player. Right. So Chubb, to me, though, traits-wise, is high level. Yeah, it's it's a really fun offense to study because they've got that that rock solid identity. You know, you talk about the run oh, yeah. game, play action boot. Uh, they're a big screen team, lots of different personnel groupings. Everybody's yeah. a factor in the pass game. It's a it's a fun offense to study. Now let's go over to the defensive side and you look at this group that's led by the defensive coordinator Joe Woods. And to me, you look at this and and this isn't shortchanging anybody else. You've got two blue chip players on this group. Miles Garrett is one of the best players in the league. And then Denzel Ward is one of the best corners in the in the NFL. My, from what who from what I've studied, he's really really talented and a really sticky player. I know he's been a little bit inconsistent last year, still a young player. But uh, to me, like Miles Garrett, I mean, he is he's a game wrecker, and he's a guy that the number question. one number one key to the game. Miles Garrett can't wreck this. He cannot be the game game wrecker here on Sunday. No, and I think that's a great point, which raises the question of how do the Eagles deal with that? Because, you know, obviously he's to line up at right defensive end, he'll line up at left defensive end. Every once in a while, he'll go inside. The question is, when he lines up outside, how do you handle him? Do you, you can do it any number of ways. There's, you can do it through formation. You can do it through tactics such as chips, you know, but, but you, you have to account for him especially in longer yardage situations, if it's third and seven, and we know Jason Peters is likely a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, and he's had a phenomenal career. The question is, how do Doug Peterson and, and Stout, the O-line coach, how do they feel about that matchup one-on-one -on -one if it's third and seven? And I guess we'll find out on Sunday. But as you said, you certainly can't let him wreck the game. He like just watching him play because, you know, we, we again, you mentioned earlier, like we talk about like uh, we, we, we evaluate so many college players and you, you look at, you know, defensive linemen and, and edge rushers. And it's like, all right, well, hand usage, hand usage, hand usage. And he, and he can win at the top of the rush with his hands. You know, he's got a couple of moves in his back. He wins with his feet and his oh. quickness so well. Like he's got it's almost like this. 
if you look at look LeBron James, right, and how much of a physical freak that LeBron James is at his size to win face up on a defender and just win off the dribble, like that, that's Miles Garrett. His ability right. to win with like a Euro step and like step inside, then completely cross the tackle's face or the guard's face and work outside and then still gain ground and then flatten out and, and turn then bend, the corner. And then bend, yeah. That's yeah. like alien. He's an alien. He's yeah. he's insane. It, it's he's no. a really impressive player to watch. And for me, like I'm a big believer in like, oh, you know, I love to see a guy that's a technician and can win with his hand. This guy does. I don't want to say he doesn't need to use his hands because he needs to use his hands at some point. Like he's going to have to do. But with what he's able to do physically with his gifts, I mean, he is just he is a, a, a pleasure to watch. Hopefully not Sunday, but on film leading right, up to right, this, right, uh, right. a lot of fun to watch. Well, he's a little old school because normally the, the big edge pass rushers in today's NFL, with few exceptions, um, almost no exceptions really, except maybe Garrett, are not 275 pounds anymore. He's yeah. old school. I mean, normally, you know, someone like Khalil Max, a really good edge pass rusher and we look at him being big at like 255 you know Garrett's probably in the 275 range yeah and with with that I mean he's got that ability to win with so he'll go through you but you know his his explosiveness off the bat he is wired into the snap count he flies out of his stance and because he's so explosive right off the bat I mean, he's working half a man. I mean, he, you're right. So many right. offensive tackles immediately turn their hips to the sideline and then they're cooked at that point. Not right. a lot. Of, I mean, he beat Larry Tunsil straight off the ball uh, and turned the corner on him. And it's one of the best tackles in the league, uh, you know, with what he did uh, this past week against Houston. And you he hit is, it right on the head. He's got that ability, almost like a wide receiver running a route to yep. stick that foot inside foot in the ground and then immediately go the other way, go outside without any loss of explosive force. And the velocity with which he then moves is is just ridiculous. He's yeah, he's really special. It's like watching Keenan Allen or Stephon Diggs, like or Odell you know, Beckham yeah. Jr. Like watch a run, run a route. And it's like I know that's yeah. that guy, that guy or it's like watching a that. great running back cha- change direction. You know, right. it's, it's and he's two hundred seventy five pounds. Right, no question. He is he is a, a great player. And Olivier Vernon on the opposite side is a good player too. That's I mean that's the thing is that this is a group that can get after the quarterback. Um, you know when you look at the skill set of the of the starting four up front uh, with Garrett, Olivier Vernon opposite him, uh, Sheldon Richards. He he's at his a best. Good athlete, by the way. Yeah, I mean he's at his best, just getting upfield. Like that's what yeah. that's what he you want him doing. Yeah. And then even Ogunjobi, Larry Ogunjobi, the the no shade. I mean he's a guy that can win with that quickness as well. He can win with with uh, with power and effort and technique. But uh, he's got that ability to win with his first step. So it's a um, it's an aggressive group up front, uh, and they will try and get after the Eagles. You know, with their quickness, with their athleticism uh, in the run game, in, particularly inside. I think that look if the Eagles can come out and run the football the way that they did this past week, uh, I think they can get some movement uh, against those in that interior too i think that's something certainly uh to be able to watch but i'll be very curious to see friend what doug and staff come up with because as we know you really you don't there's always going to be third and longs in games we know that i mean that's you know you don't go through games without any third and longs but obviously every offense wants to minimize so it's going to become real interesting and i think you and i probably will be fascinated to see uh, you know what they come up with because i agree about the run game but the last thing you want is all of a sudden then it's second and eight then third and seven and mm. you, you know being caught in those so it's a catch-22 hey those guys you know they're going to be working at it hard all week we'll see what they come up with but it's it's uh it's it'll be a tough deal i mean the the nickel linebackers for them uh and you know assuming the eagles play a lot of 11 personnel which has been what they've they've obviously done a lot of the last number of weeks are bj goodson uh, you know, someone I like coming out of Clemson. I don't know if he's an ideal nickel linebacker. And now they have Malcolm Smith, who's been around the league, and he plays in their nickel with Goodson. 
Yeah, it's it's funny because Smith, I like I didn't chart it this past week, but Smith will be listed as the starter. But then you'll see like they'll still rotate in Mac Wilson, the second year kid from Alabama, and he and he plays a decent amount yeah. as well. Um, yeah, and he's much more athletic. Yeah, and that's it's interesting. Yeah, he's the kind of rotation there, and then uh, Sione Takitaki is the, the guy who plays in base. So uh, I'll be interested to see how they decide to match up because he's kind of like a hybrid, uh, you know, uh, linebacker in terms of his skill set. So uh, if the Eagles do go into twelve personnel, will they see more uh, of Takitaki and bring that third linebacker onto the field? Uh, that'll be something I'll be keeping an eye on early on, just to see how uh, Cleveland decides to match up there. Um, looking into the secondary, heavy zone coverage team, right? I mean, this is a team that plays uh, plays a lot of cover three, a lot of cover. Four. Four, uh, you know they're gonna they'll play man obviously, um, but I think heavy zone coverage, right? Um, you know I've got some numbers in front of me. I think that it depends on the opponent. Got it. Okay. This week they played almost fifty percent cover one, hmm. but the week before against the Raiders they played seventeen percent cover one. There you go. Well, I mean they jump around. Um, you know they, it's a team that plays some quarters, some cover three. Yep. You know yep. the, the thing you'd love to be able and. and the Eagles coaching staff will know this. Believe me, they're, they're a lot smarter than I am. But they'll know <clears throat> they essentially play with two strong safeties. So right. you'd love to be able to take advantage of that somewhere to, in, in this game because they play with Sandehu, who people in Philly are familiar with, um, and they play with Ronnie Harrison, who's probably about as as classic a strong safety-type player as you can find. Yep. So they, they essentially play with two strong safeties. Yeah, and just filling out the rest of that secondary, you've got Denzel Ward, who I talked about earlier, uh, Terrence and, Mitchell. He's not a matchup uh, player. He's the left corner and Mitchell's yep. the right corner. Yeah, and even though he's, I mean, he's cat-like quickness, sticky man-to-man corner, he's also aggressive. He'll come down and lay yep. a hit on you in the flat. I mean, he's a, a very physical player as well. That goes back to his days at Ohio State. I still remember the hit he laid on that receiver in the Maryland uh, against Maryland down in the flat. Uh, really, really uh, powerful kid when he comes down and wants to hit you. Uh, Terrence Mitchell is the starter on the other side. They drafted Greedy Williams last year in the second round, uh, but he is on injured reserve. So Terrence Mitchell is the other starter. And then the veteran Kevin Johnson uh, is the nickel corner. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a solid group. I mean, but like I said, you know, you'd like to be able to attack those safeties. I'm sure Doug and staff will have uh, some concepts that will do that. Um, so we'll see how that goes. Um, look, uh, I've watched the Browns defense. I don't know if it's been every game. Maybe it has. I've seen them a lot this year. Um, and there have been a, lot, a number of times where Sendejo has struggled in coverage when he's on the back end because that's really not what he's best at. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be interesting to see how they how they decide to match up, and we'll see who from the Eagles uh, offensive. You know, if Isaac Sayamalo is ever to come back, um, or is able to come back. Uh, Zach Ertz was uh, activated off injured reserve. His 21 day practice window um, has been activated, so we'll see if he's able to go here uh, on Sunday. So we'll see uh, if this offense can get even a little healthier uh, as we've seen over the last two games as well. But uh, we're breaking it all down right here on the Eagle on the Sky podcast next week, right here with Greg Cosell. Until then, Greg, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next. Next week. All right, Fran. Thanks. Experience the fastest internet and more in a snap. With Xfinity XFi, you get the speed, coverage, control, and security you need for the ultimate in-home Wi-Fi experience. Xfinity, proud partner of the Philadelphia Eagles. Great stuff from Greg, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at EaglesXOs. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce with Eagles Entertainment. And you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. I want to give a shout-out to a couple of people who have done exactly that over the last week or so. Har Heel left us a five-star review 
saying how much they love the show. Harheel, thank you so much. River DTD left us our five-star review as well on our Apple podcast page with a question. In hindsight, do you like the Eagles cutting Sidney Jones at the end of training camp? I wish the Eagles had kept him as a backup. He would have had an opportunity to start this year due to injuries. He played well at the end of last year, and it seems as if the Eagles gave up on him at the end of the preseason, which wasn't much of an opportunity for anybody to prove themselves. I think they should have kept him. And River, look, um, you know, to me, it's always tough when you're talking about young players, right? And with Sidney, you asked, was I, am I happy? Uh, that, did I like the Eagles? I don't like the Eagles cutting anybody, right? You want all these guys uh, to stay here. But I I think when you look at uh, Sidney Jones, it's it's very similar, honestly, to a question that somebody had asked uh, right in this segment a couple of weeks ago about Travis Fulgham and oh, how does how does this happen? How does Travis Fulgham find that success here in Philadelphia, where those other two teams he wasn't it wasn't able to click. For whatever reason, it just did not work out here uh, with Sidney Jones. And I think even if you look at this summer, you talked about uh, you know this summer and not having much of a chance to prove himself. He was injured for a large chunk of training camp, and we talked about that on a daily basis right here on the show about uh, you know him missing a lot of practice. Other guys were able to go out and do a lot of good things. We saw good things from Craig James Daly, Michael Jaquette Daly. Those guys were able to flash. Sidney Jones was not able to. We saw good things from Craven LeBlanc and from Nikel Roby Coleman and Avante Maddox every single day in camp. Camp, and you didn't quite see that from Sidney Jones. You didn't see that uh, from Rizal Douglas. And those guys had been here, so there's been a little bit of a track record with those guys here in Eagles Green. So, um, you know, to me, yeah, it's of course you look and you say, oh, you wish you had had that level of success from what he's doing in Jacksonville. But that, you know, that's not what he, uh, he had shown when he was here in Eagles Green. So, it, obviously, uh, that's a tough one, and it's tough one anytime you're dealing with those kind of young players. And that's the risk you take. You'd love to be able to keep everybody, um, but it's it's not going to work. Uh, out for every single person at every single stop. So good question there uh, from River. Secondly, Sean Wolford, longtime listener, left us the five-star review on our Apple podcast page as well, saying, love the podcast. How much of an impact has the lack of continuity on the offensive side been affected by injuries, the struggles of Carson Wentz, and even the play calling? And Sean, honestly, it's 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 going to be a combination of all of it. And I think, too, football's a funny game, and it's one of the things I love most about it, in that everything uh, impacts everything else. So uh, you know, everyone says that you, know, you got to do your 111th, do your job, everything is impacted by everybody else. And it's a hundred percent true. So if something happens on first down that impacts third down, right? So it's the same thing. Uh, if you look at it from more of a macro view, if something is off with one position, let's say the, the right guard is off, that could impact uh, whether the uh, success going over to the opposite side of the field to the left is good or bad. Uh, the, the right tackle or a running back or a tight end missing a block could impact whether or not Travis Fulgham has a pass that's incomplete or if it's a 65-yard touchdown pass. That's the beauty of football. And I think ultimately when you're looking at the struggles that the Eagles are having offensively right now and even defensively as well, it comes down to just one little thing on every single play throwing you off. And if everyone's not on the same page, um, that's going to lead to not a lot of consistent success. And I think that's been uh, one of the big issues for this team. You know, we talked earlier about the field position battle. Um, that is a full team stat. That is all three sides of the ball not being able to fully execute their jobs on a drive-by-drive basis. And that leads to poor field position. You're putting yourself behind the eight ball and now you have to work hard. You have to do a lot of extra work to be able to get points on the scoreboard. It's tough to move the ball in any game. But when you're going on long drive after long drive after long drive, that's really difficult to be able to do, right? And if you're not executing on third down, we, we talked about this earlier, and I hate to be a broken record, but if you're not executing on third down on top of that, 
Well, now you're, you're giving yourself a very small window for success. And I, I think ultimately when you're looking at football, that's, that is the beauty of it. It's one of the things I love most about it. You need everybody to be rowing the same way, to be executing at the same level. And if you're not, then that's when you're going to have the issues uh, that the Eagles are having right now. So uh, Sean, River, Harheel, really appreciate all three of you. Thanks so much for leaving your reviews, leaving your ratings over on our Apple podcast page. Special thanks as well to Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts on Eagles Entertainment. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week.